Hello, Pija Pearls listeners. It's Monday, November 20th, and for today's Monday re-release, we are releasing a points of discussion that was recorded back in 2021 with the neonatal skin focus study group called Is Sunscreen Safe in Infants Under Six Months? You can listen to all three episodes right now. But before you do, make sure that you have subscribed to the Pedra Pearls podcast channel on iTunes, Google, and Spotify, and that you're following us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Pedra Research. Hello, and welcome back to December's edition of Pedra's Points of Discussion podcast. This series presents dynamic and spirited discussions on high-priority topics related to the research being done in each of Pedra's focused study groups. December's episodes are with the neonatal focus study group. Before we begin, it's important to note the views and information expressed during this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the Pediatric Dermatology Research Alliance. The purpose of this podcast is to be thought-provoking and to stimulate new ideas, new collaborations, and novel research. Any reference to medical treatment or disease management is for this purpose only. It is not an endorsement by PEDRA, and it is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Any decisions related to medical care should be made in consultation with qualified healthcare providers. In this mini-series, Is Sunscreen Safe in Infants Under Six Months? We'll hear the pros and cons of sunscreen use in infants under the age of six months. Your moderator for this program is the chair of PEDRA's neonatal focus study group, Dr. Jennifer Shook. Dr. Shook is an associate professor at the University of Florida in the departments of dermatology and pediatrics. Episode one presents considerations against sunscreen use, and Dr. Shook will be joined by Dr. Irene Lara Corrales. Dr. Lara Corrales is an associate professor in the department of pediatrics at the University of Toronto in Canada. And now I'd like to turn it over to your host, Dr. Shook. Well, hello, everyone. I am so um, excited to have some experts here, some of my colleagues from the neonatal group to discuss this important topic. Today, we are going to tackle if sunscreen should be used in infants, particularly in infants less than six months old. And as you may know, currently, the FDA approves sunscreen in infants only down to six months, um, and currently recommends that sunscreen be avoided in infants less than six months. However, the AAP wavers a bit on the issue, specifically in healthychildren.org, which is a publication of the AAP, they do recommend that when um, sun protective clothing cannot cover all areas, that sunscreen can be used sparingly in exposed areas. So we're really leaving parents with uh, a little bit of confusion, uh, open to interpretation, and we wanted to highlight the pros and cons of using sunscreen in infants. So today we have with us Dr. Irene Lara Corrales, who is from Toronto Sick Kids, and she is going to help us go through some of what we would call the cons to sunscreen use in young infants. Um, so, Dr. Lara Corrales, can you please kind of give us an overview of what you might think uh, maybe some of the co- things we should be cautious about with sunscreen use? Well, it is, uh, as you said, there's still some things that unfortunately we don't know or we're not 100% clear about. Um, so, one of the considerations, especially in very young infants, uh, we know that their skin barrier that barrier that helps keep things out and not 
allow them into our bodies is still not fully developed. So some of the products that are uh, ingredients in sunscreens, we don't have safety data and we don't know exactly how much of these products are being absorbed by babies. Um, and these are kind of full-term babies. If we think about preterm babies where their uh, skin barrier is even less developed, there are concerns that uh, we don't have enough information about. Right, right. That's true. And we don't have a lot of research yet on this infant skin barrier. We can get to that a little bit later. Um, but what might be some of the risks of having an immature skin barrier and then um, applying sunscreen? So um, things that we get in contact uh, through the skin, sometimes this can be sensitized and you develop allergies towards them. So in babies, um, we might be sensitizing them to different ingredients, and this might lead to problems long-term. And then like if something could potentially cause um, different effects, if we absorb it into our bloodstream, um, we probably don't have enough information to know what some of these products might lead to down the road. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's difficult because um, historically there's been a lot of limitations in infants just in general with medications. And so we don't have a lot of information. You're right. Now, what do you think though? So that's a great point. Um, but what do you think if we thought that it was safe, what other limitations might there be? Well, sometimes parents might be falsely reassured that if a baby has sunscreen applied to their skin, it is safe to put them under the sun. And this right. is not necessarily true. Uh, and we have to be careful when we are providing this type of uh, education to parents, not to um, lead to this false reassurance that it is okay to have babies under the sun, especially for a long time or in peak hours of the day when we know seeking shade, keeping them out of the sun, uh, all of those things are important. Like we have other ways of avoiding sun and um, this might be uh, something that we need to be careful with. Right, that's a really good point. Yeah, if we say that sunscreen is okay in babies, then maybe parents would feel more comfortable having the infants out the whole day out at the beach in Florida and that, that probably has some other risks, including overheating and dehydration, particularly yes, the smallest and, and we know that they are more sensitive to temperature changes and that they are more prone to get dehydrated. Um, and this is something that uh, we also need to be cautious about. Right, right. That's a really good point. Um, what, what do you think you might recommend as an alternative or, or a solution then if sunscreen isn't, uh, isn't used widely in infants? Well, there are many different sun protective measures, um, seeking shade, avoiding um, especially the sun during peak hours of the day from 10 to 4 p.m., like when the sun is hitting a little bit more direct. We also can uh, use hats that bring shade, especially to the face and ears and neck. Like we like hats that have a white rim uh, just to be able to provide more sh uh, shadow. Um, strollers, tents, like there are many different 
uh, ways of um, seeking shape, being oh. under a tree, uh, all these little tents that you see in the beach now, those are great areas too. Uh, they get very warm and you have to be careful with that, but they also provide good shade. Um, like I mentioned, the strollers, like strollers uh, have the ability to, to be close and um, provide the shade to the baby as well. Um, and there are other, like probably not for very small infants, but protecting the eyes with uh, sunglasses and um sun protective clothing, like all clothes probably has some amount of protection, but the ones that are branded as having uh, SPF are definitely great options for kids. And those are not only very cute, but they are uh, sometimes covering areas like the neck, like with little hoodies or uh, providing like the long sleeve that uh, brings extra protection to sensitive parts of the body. Yeah, you're right. You know, my oldest is 10 now and his younger brother just got all the kind of hand me down. So our, our baby stuff was about 10 years old. And I have to say 10 years ago, I don't think there was as much cute baby little like onesies and protective outfits um, in the stores. And so it has been really fun um, and, and exciting as a pediatric dermatologist to see all this cute stuff. You know, one thing I see a lot in Florida um, I see a lot of, of parents who I think get a little overconfident though, about the shade thinking maybe, and you mentioned this, I think, but maybe under appreciating how much sun is reflected, particularly at the beach off the sand. Um, and so I, yeah, I'm trying to be better about telling my parents to, um, to do sun protective clothing all the time at the beach, even when the kiddos are in the shade. And the other thing I say to kind of echo, echo your sentiments is um, the hats to start them with the hats early, because it's pretty much impossible to get a two or three year old used to wearing a hat. But if you start when they're a baby, then they think that's just kind of normal at the, at the beach. Um, so I think those are really good points, regardless of where you end up with sunscreen, that we have some cute other tools as well. I completely agree. I think that my oldest is 22. So I don't think that uh, sun protective clothing ever even existed when she was little. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, that's actually one of my favorite things to get for baby shower gifts now is, the, is sun protective clothes for babies. But again, it's hard because you don't want to encourage people to go out too early with their babies. Um, so I usually get the six to 12 month size, but the, you know, in, in Florida, it's pretty much inevitable that you're going to have to be out and about, especially when it's like the third or the fourth baby and you're going to activities with the older kids. So we don't want to be completely ignorant to the fact that babies have to go out too and keep up with their families. Okay. Well, that was, that's really interesting. Any other wrap up points of some of the potential cautions, risks of sunscreen use that we need to consider in this argument? Because the FDA seems pretty firm on it on their website. Yeah, and not only the FDA, but also other health uh, agencies in Canada, Health Canada, in other parts of the world, like this is a concern that has been raised. Um, having said that, um, there are different types of sunscreens, and there are some that uh, have been proven to be safe in kids and um, probably what we choose to use is also important and can change uh, some of the advice that we provide families with. And we'll probably talk more about that. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. One more thing I wanted to bring up before we move on um, that comes up a lot uh, for me. Sometimes parents ask about things like nanoparticles and uh, sunscreens getting into the bloodstream. And honestly, I, I think in, in my research and understanding, I, it's potential for concern, but I think it's actually probably true that we're, we're absorbing a lot through the skin and from the environment, including you know bits of plastics and things like that. So that uh, personally, as a mom and as a pediatric dermatologist, hasn't been a big concern for me. Did you have any concern about nanoparticles? I don't. Like I'm also a parent, like I, I, I don't have that um, burning concern. Um, having said that, sometimes when we don't have the information to reassure, a hun- nothing is 100%, but at least we would like to see some published studies and some published information to assure that this doesn't lead to any problems. And I think as... Um, clinician investigators, we should be seeking some of these uh, projects to be able to make sure that we have the right information to guide our families. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to episode one in this points of discussion mini series. Catch episode two now to hear the argument in favor of sunscreen use in children under the age of six months. Thank you so much to our program sponsors, AbbVie Inc., Eli Lilly and Company, Sanofi Genzyme, and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals for supporting this program. Pedra is solely responsible for all the program content and the selection of all presenters, authors, moderators, and faculty. Hello, and welcome back to episode two in December's Points of Discussion podcast. In this episode, we'll hear considerations in favor of sunscreen use in children younger than six months. If you haven't listened to episode one, please go back and do so now. Your moderator for today's episode is Dr. Jennifer Shook. She is the chair of PJ's neonatal focus group, and she's also an associate professor at the University of Florida in the departments of dermatology and pediatrics. Joining Dr. Shook for this episode is Dr. Jeanette Jakus. Dr. Jakus is a clinical associate professor of dermatology at SUNY Downstate Health Sciences University an adjunct clinical assistant professor of dermatology at Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York. I'll turn it over to you, Dr. Shook. Okay, so next we have Dr. Jeanette Jagas from SUNY Downstate, who is going to give us a little bit of perspective on potential pros to using sunscreen in younger infants. Dr. Jagas, can you share some of your thoughts with us today? Um, yeah, so, you know, I think it's, it's a really interesting topic that comes up a lot in our clinics. And the issue... The overlying issue really is that the guidelines seem to be mixed. Um, And I think physicians are looking for more concrete guidelines with regards to, specifically with regards to sunscreen use in infants less than six months of age. Um, We see a lot of parents asking about this and I think pediatricians and dermatologists alike are a little bit confused by what advice to give. Yeah, I definitely agree. What do you think might be some alternatives? Like if we were to roll out using sunscreen in younger infants, how would you propose we do that? Well, what we've seen, and a lot of this again is anecdotal information, um, information that's being spread online and through social media, um, is that parents are looking for options with regards to sunscreen use in infants under six months of age. And um, I've seen anything from, you know, people using diaper cream to home remedies um, to other, I guess, approved or maybe non-approved ingredients 
to provide sunscreen to their children. And, and um, we want to avoid that. You know, we want to be able to give the proper guidance to parents who we, we know are going to go out and use something. Um, mm -hmm. And we'd like to have some more information about the existing ingredients that we have. Um, and also the, the types of things that are already being used. Um, you know, I think the most compelling ingredient really is zinc oxide because we're already using that very safely in infants, especially infants less than six months of age. It's in every, you know, diaper cream out there. Um, and it's the same zinc oxide that's being used in sunscreen. Um, so you can very, you know, easily argue that um, just based on information and, and current use of that ingredient in infants, it should be safe to use. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. So the main ingredients in mineral sunscreens are zinc oxide, titanium dioxide, and zinc oxide we use in every diaper paste. It's basically the white stuff in diaper paste. Um, so even though we don't have evidence on sunscreens, I haven't seen a lot of controversies about nanoparticles from, uh, from diaper paste. Uh, hopefully I'm not starting something by bringing that up, but certainly, certainly haven't seen a lot of toxicities or problems in infants. And we know that's a really important, um, like I can't imagine babies without zinc oxide barrier ointment in the diaper, right? So all the diaper rashes we would have. Um, so yeah, you bring up a great point that we do have actually kind of a little bit of maybe not data, but some assumed safety. Um, so yeah, I've, I've seen, I, and I definitely have recommended that in clinic and to close friends when they're unsure that, you know, we you use the diaper ointment on the bum, go ahead and put that a little on the exposed areas if you have to. So that's a great point. I wonder, you know, you mentioned homemade sunscreens and I, I wonder, because we've seen every, you know, all kinds of things in our clinic. I wonder if that might, you know, be more harmful than just saying to go ahead and use sun, you know, use sunscreen that's approved for children, just not for infants. I can imagine there might be some harmful ingredients in homemade sunscreens. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly the point, right? We can't control mm -hmm. that. But if we had more data and we had more guidance on what products could be safely used in kids that age, um, I think it would eliminate that problem. And you're always going to have people out there who are, you know, think that they know better or have family recipes that they, you know, have been passed down for generations. We see that with everything in medicine. Right. Um, right. I think we can certainly cut down on that if we could provide better guidance. And yeah, that's really I'm... what sort of, you know, brought this whole issue up in our, in our neonatal group, right? It's, you know, what do we tell parents? Right. Yeah, that's a really, a really good point, I think. And I think it, if we could have some more consensus and guidance or a little more clarity, like I mentioned in the opening that the FDA says no sunscreen use, but then the AP waivers a little bit, um, that that would be helpful for parents. Do you worry at all? I'm not sure that I worry about this, but do you worry at all that uh, if we say sunscreen use is okay down, you know, in infants less than six months, particularly in the really little infants about the sun exposure, or that we may be endorsing more sun exposure um, as pediatric dermatologists? Yeah, I, that, you know, that's a tricky question. Um, there's that whole issue of moral hazard, right? Like if you endorse the use of sunscreen, that means you're okaying sun exposure. Um, and it can be a mixed message for some people. I don't think the recommendations are ever going to shift from avoiding sun exposure in general. And that's where it's always been. And that's the primary sun, um, sun protection that we recommend for that age group. Um, I think the issue is more in providing clarity on sunscreen. It's very specific, specifically in, in um, providing clarity for sunscreen use. Um, 
So I think to advocate, you know, we will always advocate for sun avoidance and sun protection. Um, and I don't think that that should change, but I, I see your point and I, it may be treading some muddy waters if we, if we try to recommend sunscreen um, more broadly. I, don't, I also don't think that, that it's going to be possible to do that um, and to recommend it safely without there being clinical trials. Um, and, I, and I unfortunately don't know or think that that's going to happen. Um, but the area that we could provide some more clarity in is in, you know, in how to use sunscreen, because as you mentioned, there are some guidelines that do allow, especially I think the AAP guidelines do allow or do recommend sunscreen use in limited areas. Um, so if we can maybe better define that and give guidance to our patients, um, and then also to have some consistency in the guidelines. I think the SPD, I was looking at the SPD guidelines and one of their statements is that sunscreen is safe in babies over six months of age. And to me, that implies that it's not safe in babies under six months of age, but we don't know that. We don't have that information. So I think just having some, creating some consistency in guidelines um, should be a goal for you know, whatever research or whatever comes out of um, research in this age group for sunscreen use. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I wanted to point out, because you brought that up, um, on healthychildren.org, which is a um, publication online of, from the American Academy of Pediatrics here in the U.S. And I thought it was interesting. Again, wording can be so important sometimes because it says, when adequate clothing and shade are not available, parents can apply a minimal, of, um, I'm sorry, a minimal amount of sunscreen with at least 15 SPF. So to me, there's two problems wrong or two problems with this. The first is to say a minimal amount of sunscreen, like if you're gonna use sunscreen, then just lather it on, right? I, I, want, I don't want people to sparingly use sunscreen ever. That's like, you know, false uh, hope for protection because you can't put sunscreen on thinly. And then the other is actually, I don't really tell anybody at least 15 SPF anymore. I tell people the, the more, the better, or at least 50 or um, especially here in Florida. So I, I wouldn't put 15 SPF personally anywhere near a recommendation for um, for infants sunscreen. So I thought this might be, it's nice, it's sort of nice that the AP in this, in this website was offering a little bit of, well, we know you might need to use it sometimes, but we don't wanna have mixed messaging of you might need to use it, but then if you do just use a little bit. Right. right. It's very confusing. It's confusing to you and it's confusing even more so to, to consumers and to patients of ours. Um, I think there's going to have to be a lot of work and research in order to really safely make a strong recommendation for use of sunscreen in babies six months and younger. Um, but I agree. I think it, I think there again may be enough evidence to show that zinc oxide as an ingredient is safe enough to use. And if we're going to make a re recommendation that you know even minimal amounts can be used, I think there should be a focus on using zinc oxide again, because there is a precedent for that in that age group. And then I think there should be a focus also on, you know, how much is, is safe. Um, again, we don't have the data, the scientific data to support that. But as long as that, you know, if, if the risk to benefit ratio weighs towards um, use of sunscreen, then I think it's, you know, it should be an okay guideline to recommend sunscreen use in that age group. 
it's a it's very it's a very tricky you know tricky topic <laughs> yeah definitely that's why we're here today you know that reminds me of something else i wanted to bring up for the listeners so one of the things i think maybe people don't appreciate uh, so much is that actually in pediatric dermatology, we sort of live in a world of not actually having, quote, FDA approval for a lot of the things we do. So it's it's true that a lot of the medications we use, things that we use every day, including some of our topical steroids, haven't been approved for those indications, but we use them commonly. So that might be another thing to consider is that it's almost like now that we've put the six-month thing on websites, on the AAP, on the SPD, um, we've we've sort of created a dogma. But in reality, there's so many things we use that aren't quote approved all the time in pediatric dermatology. I, I feel like probably 80% of what I do isn't approved by the FDA for its use. I mean, now we have things like biologics that are now approved for children, but before that, we certainly had to use those sometimes. You're absolutely right. I mean, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and I think, you know, sunscreen even, I would think is even a more of a benign ingredient or sorry, product to be using. There's no guidelines on use of, you know, ba- other baby products that are available right. over the counter. So why, you know, why do we put the stop at sunscreen, you know? <laughs> so I, again, yes, I agree with you. I think as, as, you know, authorities in the world of, of, skin um, and in specifically in pediatric dermatology, we should at some point be able to make that recommendation to our patients. Yeah, that's, those are great points. Um, Cause in general, we're, we're definitely pro sunscreen use. We know that if people have to be outside, we want them to be protected as much as possible. So that, that's a great point. In episode three, we're gonna come back together for a group discussion, weigh the pros and cons and consider some practical aspects of this quote controversy. This has been episode two in our PEDRA points of discussion podcast series is sunscreen use safe in infants under six months. Thank you to Dr. Jeanette Jacobs for highlighting the gaps in the research. Tune in to episode three as Dr. Jeanette Jacobs and Dr. Irene Lara Corrales come together to discuss this topic. Hello and welcome back to the third and final episode in our neonatal mini-series, Is Sunscreen Use Safe in Children Under the Age of Six Months? You've already heard from Dr. Irene Lara Corrales and Dr. Jeanette Jacobs on the pros and cons of sunscreen use in young infants. And now I'll turn it over to Dr. Shook. Okay, so now... Tonight, we have Dr. Lara Corrales and Dr. Jacobs, who together we're going to discuss the pros and cons of sunscreen use in infants, as well as some significant research gaps and implications for clinical practice. Um, The first thing I wanted to talk to you as a group about is what are the next steps? What do we need to know before we can make a better recommendation on sunscreen use in infants? I think one of the things that we have failed to at least say out loud is that uh, UV radiation is the most important known um, modifiable risk factor for the development of skin cancer long-term. So this is something that we can control. So I think as physicians, we do know that we need to act and we need to make uh, recommendations about this because we also know that If you have a sunburn early in life, especially for little babies that have lighter skin tones, this predisposes them to cancer long-term. So we do want them protected from the sun. 
And the other thing that I, I also uh, think we should mention is that the FDA does recognize that there are products that are safe to use. Uh, there's no information in the first six months of life, but at least some of those um, that have, they have been termed grace, the generally recognized as, as safe and effective are both titanium dioxide and zinc oxide. So those mineral sunscreens, like I feel comfortable uh, recommending to use those products. I use them, I use them on my kids. Uh, so I think we do need more information about other types of sunscreens, but I think right now, I don't know what you feel, but I, I'm comfortable giving that advice. Right, like a, a good first step would be working towards making a consensus recommendation for mineral sunscreen use in infants um, and exploring safety there. Um, do either of you feel comfortable discussing a little bit here for the listeners, the difference between chemical and physical sunscreens? Sure, I mean, as I think we all recognize there are essentially two categories of sunscreen that are available over the counter. And those are uh, what we call physical blockers or inorganic uh, sunscreens. And then there's the organic or non-physical or chemical blockers. Um, so ingredients in um, our physical blockers are things like titanium oxide, zinc oxide, and more recently iron oxides being used. Those work by sitting on the skin surface and reflecting the light, UV radiation, and thereby avoiding um, UV exposure to the skin cells. Chemical sunscreens, things like avobenzone, oxybenzone, they work a little bit differently. So they do penetrate the skin a little bit more than um, zinc and titanium, and they essentially absorb the light and then scatter it so that you don't get the UV penetrating deeper into to the skin cells. Uh, and that's the basic difference between those two forms of sunscreen. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. I think uh, I, it's something I don't think really parents and consumers understand. Um, so I know a lot of times I hear that the people are like, oh, I don't want to mess with the sunscreens that are white to put on my babies because then you put the white sunscreen on and then it's all over the stroller. It's all over the car. So I think just understanding why we're recommending the physical sunscreens can be helpful because practically speaking, they are, they are the messier ones, but that there's certainly a reason for that because they're just sitting on top of the skin and, and blocking, um, blocking the sun. So thank you for that background, Dr. Jacobs. Okay, so if we were to think about how to get safety data, how, what would be the next best step for getting safety data to better understand this issue? Because I agree with both of you that if we could just have a little bit of safety data, it would make our patients or our parents feel a lot better. Well, the classic way of obtaining safety data is to run clinical trials, right. which can be very costly and also very difficult to do in that age group. Um, a lot of people don't want to participate in uh, what are considered experimental research um, with, their, with their young infants. I think that most of the safety data that we should be able to obtain uh, may come from, again, use of zinc oxide and other products um, that's already being done in infants. And I think there could be a good argument made um, for that. I think it, you should be able to translate that information to sunscreen use. Uh, if you really just break it down by ingredient. And also, um, as was mentioned, it's considered uh, a, safe, a safe ingredient. It's a grace 
ingredient. So FDA has already determined that um, that zinc oxide is safe ingredient to be used in over-the-counter products. Yeah, that, that makes me think of another good point. So we always say we need more data, we need more data. And in fact, I know I, I this is come this comes up in everyday life. This came up when um, we were considering vaccinating my children. And I think that it's, it's pretty common to say we need more data, but then also when you think about not only the, the logistics and the cost, um, do we really need more data? Actually, we started this conversation with we need more data, but then when you when you say it that way, it's like, gosh, is that really worth the cost and the effort? And even if we just said, okay, all of the babies that are having a zinc oxide diaper paste, we can just take blood levels to, to test how much zinc oxide is in the blood. But even that is, is, is interesting to think about because we think it's safe. And so we're then subtracting all of those babies to blood draws um, that in, in our heart, we think might be unnecessary. I agree with you. I think that some of these things, like we have to kind of almost put in a balance the potential risks with the potential benefits. And in my balance, the risk of protecting from the sun is going to outweigh any potential risk. It would be very nice to have data in kids, especially because over the last few years, we have been seeing some uh, manuscripts being published that bring some of these kind of points that some of these chemical sunscreens are absorbed and that they might mess up with the endocrine system and things that we still don't have like we don't know if that is completely true but those were done in age groups that are not uh, our small pediatric patients so again like putting little babies through pokes and through uh all this research like uh do we really want to do that i i have mixed feelings about that i heard what is likely a rumor that the fda didn't test zinc and titanium based sunscreens when they when they funded that testing on the chemical sunscreens because the zinc and titanium are considered safe ingredients so i think that also says a lot um with regards to the use of those those ingredients in kids. Um, I, again, I think the recommendation um, should maybe be limited to using mineral sunscreens or physical blockers um, until we have more information about chemical sunscreens. Um, we know that they penetrate. Um, there, there was that study that was funded by the FDA. And I think that scared a lot of people. Also caused a lot of you know questioning and other um, I guess, speculation about, um, you know, what is considered safe and what is not. Um, but that has not held true for mineral sunscreens, as far as we know. That definitely yeah, raised a lot of questions in my practice, like parents, yeah. like this made it not only to our medical journals, but also made it to uh, parent magazines and newspapers and news, like it was all over. So um, many of those opposing the use of sunscreen sunscreen we're really grabbing to on this information to question sunscreens and to build more uh, controversy about the use of sunscreen and all the good that sun, sunscreen does yes they proved that there was some absorption but what does that mean i don't think right. we know yeah and then that's a great question too if we did clinical trials on sunscreen in infants to 
show safety. I, I, I don't know if we can really show safety um, to, to show probably be more of, oh, these are the levels in the blood. There's minimal absorption into the blood. But then are we comfortable? And I, I am just to be clear, but are we comfortable if that's like a six month follow up study? Do we need like a three year follow up study to make sure there aren't any endocrine disruptors like Dr. Laura Corrales mentioned? I mean, it's kind of hard to know where to draw the line. And we tend as a society to be a bit risk adverse. And so we kind of have to put into perspective of, yes, we could do studies forever on all of the ingredients and follow up for 10 years on each child. But really, at some point, you have to um, say, you know, maybe it's not worth all the time and effort. Uh, so that's a great. So so then we, what do we do with all this? Like if we had let's say that we had a big PEDRA grant right now and we were going to design a study to investigate this, what would we do next? Well, one of, one of the questions I think needs to be answered before we do anything is what are the practices for sun protection or sun avoidance already existing in that age group or in that population? And then extrapolate from there um, and then build, build a cause, right? Like I think right now um, we need to get more information on the number of you know sunburns, um, the type of sun exposure that's happening in that age group, and I know there's definitely like geographic differences, there's seasonal differences, um, but even to kind of capture that type of information, I think is a, an important starting point. And once we have that information, I think we can better cater our recommendations to um, how to properly avoid you know sunburns and other UV ex extreme UV exposure in that age group. Yeah, that's a great thought. What do you think, Dr. Lara? <laughs> I, I feel a little bit different regarding that, just because I find it takes a long time to, to gather all this information. And um, by the time that we determine like all the practices and the number of sunburns and everything, we might be losing valuable time, especially for some of these babies growing up very fast. So I think it is important information to gather, but I think at the same time, we should be coming up with some guidance, especially I feel that right now, the mineral sunscreens are, are considered safe. So why not go ahead and make that as a guideline to what we think needs to be happening and try to have like a little bit of more uniform language through all the different recommendations that we have in AAP and AAD and like uh, our society, SPD, like everywhere, like to try to um, prioritize that we need to protect our babies from the sun. So I think if we had a $50,000 PEDRA grant, Dr. Jacobs would start with a behavioral study, uh, understanding what's going on currently. And Dr. Laura Corrales would start with a consensus meeting of the experts to, to make some new guidelines. So I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. I like both of those decisions. But the other thing I was just thinking of while we were talking, I, I think one thing we could do would be to, we have obviously children in the hospital who are using zinc oxide paste already. We could potentially look at discarded blood samples to see how much of that's, if any, is detected in blood. I think that's a great idea. And, and would that be enough reassurance to jump to the next step of, okay, so we have 50, 100, 200 babies in the hospital using zinc oxide paste, minimal amounts detected in the blood. 
would that be enough to jump to those consensus statements? I think that's fine, but the problem is what if that's not what the research shows? And what if you find that there are elevated zinc levels and then, you know, and then again, it's this, you're in the same place that we're at now with the chemical sunscreens is what does it mean? Right. Well, and That's the good news is that zinc is necessary in the body, right? So compared to some of the foreign foreign molecules, chemical sunscreen, zinc is um, a essential. It is, and, and, and especially for skin health, right? <laughs> we all know right. that. It is something that I think is difficult to measure. I think you need special um, assays to do that and special collection tubes. I'm not sure that discarded blood samples would necessarily work for that, but you know, there are workarounds for that. Can I ask you, sorry, like zinc, both zinc uh, oxide and titanium dioxide are very big molecules. Mm -hmm. My understanding is that they are not, like we're not able to absorb them through the skin or like I've never seen any research specific to that, but is yeah. that some, like, I think that would be a, a first question. No, I think that's a great question. I, I, I saw you were making kind of a face there. I was wondering what you're thinking. No, I, I think you're right. I don't know how, what studies have been done. It's just that we started the conversation with saying we don't really have the data. And so it would just be nice to say, okay, we looked at the blood and we didn't see any of th those molecules there. Um, because I don't know that that's been done specifically in the infant population, but it's probably doable. I don't know what kind of special assays would need to be done um, to tease that out from, I mean, you can't just run like a normal zinc study. That's obviously something different. So um, we definitely would have to tease that out, but you're right. We might, we might not even answer that question if we're not like looking at it right, or we might find that it's negative. And, and then it comes back to the same thing. Like, okay, even if there's some there, is that, is that dangerous? Probably not. I mean, if that was my infant and there was some zinc, oxide particles floating around that did get past that barrier it's probably okay and we don't really know safe amounts so again it's like you this is how research kind of goes right you come up with ideas and then this happens to me all the time and then you work through the idea and then you're like oh maybe it's not that good of an idea so I could I could go either way on that I don't it might be reassuring for some it might be a waste of time for others Agreed. And there, there is a lot of data out there actually regarding um, penetration of zinc into the skin. To my knowledge, it does not go past the stratum So I, you know, Some of those but, then, but then you start asking about nanoparticles and then you can, you know, ask about neonatal skin, which is different than adult skin. And I do not think it's been tested in neonatal skin. So, you know, there's, there's again, many different questions that can stem just from that one but you know, to, to Jen's point, we do a lot of things that are not approved. And my, to my point earlier, you know, I think if we want to make if we want to make a statement that zinc oxide sunscreen is safe to use, um, there's no way that the FDA would allow that on a label without the studies being done. Right. But that doesn't stop us from recommending it. Um, based on our you know, expertise in pediatric skin. All right, Dr. Lara Curley's final thoughts on next steps and studies or consensus? I was just going to add that, um, as Janet mentioned, like some of this has been done in adults or older patients, but we probably have, haven't tested in newborn skin and preterm skin that, as we mentioned uh, previously, like they, this uh, is skin that is not fully mature. So we might find different things. I think there's a lot, there are lots of things that we 
uh, could do regarding this topic. Um, I think our neonatal group is excited. Like I, although we try to make this a little bit of a pros and cons, like I think we all sit on the same boat and we are really pro sun protection. Um, and we really want to make sure that um, the education that our parents and our patients receive is based on uh, reliable information that helps protect them long-term. So I, I think that um, we have lots of things to think about and bring to our group for further research. Yeah, I agree. And I hope maybe we can get some industry energy um, involved in this as well, and maybe some industry funding um, to help this cause a little bit. So I'd like to end this discussion. One of the things um, that comes up a lot in clinic and how I practice, I always tell people this recommendation is what I would do if this was my child. Um, because I think that at the end of the day, especially being a pediatric dermatologist, a pediatric physician, um, that it colors everything I do, thinking about just the practicalities of everyday life, um, you know, the, the weighing the risks and benefits. So I think for me personally, again, my kids are a little older, they're 10 and seven, but if I had an, another little infant and, and for all the listeners, I'm in Florida. So sunscreen, or I'm sorry, sun is pretty much unavoidable because I can't not go to my older son's baseball games and, and things like that, or the swim meets. So if I had another little one right now, I'd feel very comfortable with sun protective clothing as much as possible, big hats, and then putting a pretty generous amount of a zinc oxide containing sunscreen or even just plain old diaper paste on exposed areas. Um, I don't mind, I don't love, but I don't mind the white, white mess of the physical sunscreens. Do you both mind just commenting on what you recommend to patients or what you would do in your own personal life? I'm the same as you. I think um, it's very important to protect the skin at all in all ages, across all age groups. And that includes young infants, especially since they're more vulnerable to UV exposure. Uh, I think it becomes actually even more important to protect their skin as best as we can. And, um, you know, I do personally feel comfortable with zinc oxide. Again, I think it, a lot of that stems from our use of this ingredient in other products. Um, so I would recommend it to patients without any, without any, you know, doubt. I, I think that the recommendations as they stand right now do allow for that. So it makes me also comfortable recommending it, um, at least in limited areas. And then if someone, I live in New York, so I don't have that issue <laughs> of ubiquitous sun exposure, but, um, but, you know, in the summer months, um, my recommendations are to protect, as you said, as much as you can physically, and then to add sunscreen to those areas that you can't protect. I would echo many of the things you said. I, uh, I would be like, I have three kids and uh, the older ones that I have to chase around, like you have to use sunscreen. And um, with the little, little one that I have more control, like uh, he has a big hat. He has sun protective clothing. He wears sunscreen. Like um, that is what I advise for my patients as well. Like I am also okay recommending mineral sunscreens in small babies. As we mentioned before, I don't uh, say sparingly ever when I uh, I'm mentioning sunscreen. I want them well protected and sparingly doesn't protect. So, uh, thick shade, sun protective clothing, sunscreen. 
uh, those are all things that my patients are going to hear from me. Yeah, you bring up a good point. It reminds me, I actually sort of missed the infant days when I had control over the sunscreen going on the infant, even though it was a, a struggle because now that they're a little bit older, it's definitely chasing them down. They're trying to go to their swim meets and swim practices without their sunscreen. So it's been a really great discussion. I think we all have you know similar opinions and, and um, of course it's a controversy because we don't have approval. But we definitely all think that sun protection is important. Any other final parting thoughts from either of you guys? I really appreciate your time and advice um, and insight today. I think it has been great. Like I, I enjoyed our conversation and lots of work to do. Definitely that is my biggest takeaway. I agree. I think there's a, a long road ahead, but I think it can be done. And it, you know, I am pretty confident that we all kind of sit on the same side of the fence. So I think, I think we can do it. Yeah, I think it says something. Um, pediatric dermatology is a pretty small field, but when we have similar thoughts about a, a topic, I think that, that definitely says something. All right, well, I thank you both for your time tonight and for um, investigating, thinking about this topic a little bit so that we can do a little bit better for our patients. So I appreciate that. And on behalf of the PEDRA Neonatal Working Group, thank you for all you do and let's keep up the good work. A very special thank you to Dr. Jennifer Shook, Dr. Jeanette Jacobs, and Dr. Irene Lara Corrales for participating in this program. Thank you to our sponsors for supporting this program. Abvi Inc., Eli Lilly and Company, Sanofi Genzyme, and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. Pedra is solely responsible for all program content and the selection of all presenters, authors, moderators, and faculty. Please subscribe to the Pedra Pearls podcast channel and be sure to leave us a comment. Let us know how we're doing. You can find more educational content in the Pedra app, available for Apple and Android users. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. Make sure you tune in for our next Monday re-release on November 20th for a publication presentation from the NICU to eczema and the value of research funding with Dr. Jennifer Shook.